create the distance between you and your work so that you can see it objectively for what it is. Um, and also because, I think I mentioned, because we live in such an image-driven world, um, your work has to speak for itself. That has extraordinary powers because you are not always going to be there to defend your work. Uh, you're not going to be there to explain your work, to sell your work. Your work has to build the strength to really communicate on its own without you being present. You're listening to Conversations for the Mystically Curious, a podcast brought to you by Kismet Berlin. On our show, we will interview creators, makers, and just generally inspiring people working in the realms of esoteric spirituality, science, and the arts. On today's show, we interview Céline Chaper of Officine Perfume Oils. Céline is what one could call a modern Renaissance woman who turned her multiple side hustles into a full-time means of supporting herself from an early age. She also found a balance between the scientific and creative realms. She studied chemistry, went to one of the most prestigious design schools in the world, and taught herself programming to a level that she was able to land a job in San Francisco straight out of school. But when her visa wasn't renewed due to the strict lottery system in the U.S., she found herself on a plane back to France within days and had to reinvent herself once again. We wanted to interview Celine because not only have we had the pleasure to collaborate with her on our new line of botanical crystal candles, the Nobu Spring Candle is currently available on our site, but also to tell us more about how Officine was born and break down the molecular magic of scent making. Before we get to our guest, Kate and I decided once again to have a little catch-up. Hey, Kate. So welcome to episode two. Thanks, Joey. Welcome yourself. <laughs> so here we are. And uh, based on a lot of the lovely feedback that we got on episode one, all of our friends and family and listeners asked us to share a bit more information about ourselves, which is actually something that Joey and I find difficult to do. Yeah, in the spirit of authenticity, I mean, you know, it's, we live in this culture now where you're so often asked to perform and bring yourself to the forefront, whether it's through social media, you know, TikTok, Instagram, et cetera. And, um, you know, I think it is actually really important, especially for brands or companies these days that people like to connect with the person or people behind it, especially if it's a small business. And um, I know it's something that both you and I are acutely aware of, but sometimes is not so evident for us because I think we're both people that kind of like our work to speak for itself, but obviously that's not always a solution. Yeah, we both really thrive. I think being uh, behind the scenes people, we really like to promote the work of others and like to maybe put our work out there in the world and let it speak for itself. But then when we have to be front and center, not letting the work speak for itself, but us just speaking for ourselves. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes it's a little bit of a hot seat, but we're, we're going to go there. Yeah, and I think through, uh, you know, future episodes and stuff, uh, people will maybe figure out a bit more who we are. You know, we obviously don't need to give our entire life story today, but 
maybe just a few clues as to what in the world we're doing, what is kismet, because I have a feeling that some people might have stumbled on this podcast um, just through, you know, Apple Podcasts or something, and they have no idea that there's actually a store <laughs> and another story attached to it. We are a uh, modern esoteric online shop. Uh, our website is www.kismetberlin.com. Um, and we wanted to create a more curated and sort of tailored uh, experience for spiritual goods and tools for the European market, because although it's quite uh, prevalent in the U.S. and in the U.K., um, it's still not so easy to find those uh, kind of tools in Europe. So uh, we also really pride ourselves on being an ethical company, like practicing conscious commerce, whether it's through our packaging or who we choose to work with, etc. As for our backgrounds, uh, it's also not uh, so straightforward for either one of us. And, you know, we could dedicate an entire episode just to talking about that, which we won't do at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm originally American, but I moved to many different states in the U.S. Uh, I lived in Italy as a child, then we moved back to the U.S., then I moved to France when I was 16, uh, where I did high school and university, worked there for a while, then moved back to New York, where I went back to school to Parsons, um, and then ended up becoming a trend forecaster, which also took me around the world, uh, and then eventually back to Germany, and then to Korea for two years, uh, and then now I'm back here in Germany again. So yeah, <laughs> I've been circling around the globe for a while, but now uh, hopefully I'll be uh, settling in Berlin for the, the, the future. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also originally American. I didn't travel around quite as much with my family when I was younger, but I did have the good fortune of being on the U.S. fencing team in the 90s. And so I got to travel all over Europe as a teenager, which really opened my eyes and made me fall in love with traveling. Um, then after university, worked as an English teacher in Uzbekistan, returned to the U.S., had a family, and then um, have been raising my kids in Romania for the past eight years, and then finally um, moving to Berlin, also hopefully uh, to stay. Yeah, I think Berlin is a pretty special place uh, that really welcomes people with hybrid backgrounds, which is also something we'll get into a bit in the podcast, in the interview later with Celine. So, Joey, we met each other first, not in Berlin, not on any kind of European travels, but actually way back in the fifth grade in Boulder, Colorado, when you walked into my PE class. Good old Boulder, which is, uh, for some people might know, is like the epicenter of all things alternative spirituality. So something must have, uh, you know, left a big impression on us since that time. Yeah, and I think, uh, although we didn't really think anything special was going on there in the you know early 90s uh, I don't know if that gives too much away <laughs> regarding how old we are I don't think we realized that all of the sort of mm, spiritual ideas that were not maybe what was what you would typically get in in mainstream American culture that were sort of very freely 
circulating and cross-pollinating in Boulder. I don't think we really realized how special that was, and we sort of soaked it up and realized that something was there and something had, had stuck and translated into a lot of the, the things that we still were interested in pursuing um, as adults. As we mentioned before, our paths were incredibly complex after a certain point. I left Boulder when I was about uh, 14 years old, and we stayed in touch, but then, you know, there was times that we sort of lost track of each other, you know, depending on where we were in the world and where we were in our personal and professional lives. And then, uh, yeah, somehow our paths reconverged uh, again in uh, 2019 when uh, Kate, you came for a visit to Berlin. Uh, you know, this was obviously right the year before COVID hit, so it's almost uh, like nostalgic thinking about it now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you came yeah. for the summer, we were walking around, and we realized that we had both um, recently purchased indie tarot decks. And again, tarot was something that we had kind of delved into when we were teenagers, but we had sort of set aside for many years and came back to, and we just thought it was uncanny that both of us took it back up at the same time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we really clicked over the tarot. I think I had a Serpent Fire deck. And what deck did you have that you had just bought? Uh, I had this Star Child tarot. Right, yeah. So we really geeked out on that. After we met up that summer, we actually were like, hey, maybe this is a, a good business idea. Like, this is something that really could be uh, special in the Berlin community and the German community and, and even, you know, emanating more out into Europe eventually. And uh, yeah, so the wheels got turning and we founded our company in January of 2020, which is a story for another day because everybody knows what happens afterwards. Uh, and uh, yeah, so for the moment we're online, but hopefully in a more positive iteration of the future, sans COVID, uh, we'll be able to open a physical space. So before we get started talking to our guests today, we would like to pull a major arcana tarot card. Last podcast, we pulled the judgment card. We think it's very apropos that that card was pulled. And then after that, um, of course, we, we keep up with the American news because that's where we both come from. Uh, the, the results of the Derek Chauvin trial uh, came out. Because of that, we decided that it would be very appropriate to use a different deck today. We're going to pull a card from 2020 Visions, uh, a tarot deck made by Crystal Banner, an American person of color who prides herself on representing people of color in the esoteric and mystical space. So her 2020 Visions deck only contains the major arcana because it works with archetypal energies that were all reflected in the events of 2020. So even though it's 2020 Visions, it's not only applying to things that happen that year. And let's face it, the energy kicking around in this deck is still definitely kicking around in 2021. <laughs> yeah, and it, I think it will continue to kick around in, in 2022 and uh, for quite a while. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're, we're fans of this deck. So without further ado, uh, Joey's shuffling away over there and she's going to pull a card. 
I just pulled the hermit. So in uh, the 2020 Visions deck, the hermit is portrayed as a uh, mask, actually a medical mask with the hashtag stay home on it. Yeah, so very much that is the 2020 version of being a hermit. (laughs) Oftentimes in, say, traditional tarot decks, we associate the hermit card with maybe a self-imposed retreat from the world, perhaps, because usually it wouldn't be forced upon us. But I think that this particular card sort of addresses another facet of hermit energy. Um, Many of us, you know, stayed home and uh, distance, not because we wanted to, but because we knew that we we needed to. I think uh, the state of hermitness, if we're going to call it that, um, yeah, it's definitely being prolonged longer than people may have anticipated as well. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because often the hermit card is also portrayed as a wise man or wise woman, wise person, just to be more gender correct. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think obviously, even as painful as it is, these periods of having to suffer extreme hermitness, a lot of wisdom does come from it. Yeah, I think in in my hermit period, because we've all had one, uh, so my personal hermit period, I think I've definitely done an inventory of what's really important. And I think definitely relationships is something that has come out on top for me. Reevaluating the type of relationships that I have in my life, um, friendships, romantic relationships, um, work partnerships, and really, really reflecting on um, how I want to show up for those relationships um, and what my role is, as well as how those relationships um, affect my life. How about you, Joey? If I'm going to be honest, pulling the hermit card makes me angry because I'm just so done. Like, I'm just so done, like, being a hermit at this point. Like, it's not my choice. Uh, Maybe I don't know how the experience is for other people in other countries. But, you know, in Germany, we've uh, already been in six months of lockdown. And now they've announced that it will end in June 30th. It's been prolonged, which essentially means that we will be in lockdown for a period of nine months. Um... It's hard for me to be positive about this card because I feel like, to me, it's it's not. I respect that you gave a real answer, Joey. I think that's the usefulness of tarot is that it perhaps allows us to examine something that's upsetting and triggering. So speaking of the Hermit card, our next guest, Celine of Officine, is somebody who has alchemized and transformed her lone wolf energy into her biggest strength. She found independence very early on in her career. Hi, Celine. Hi, Celine. Hi. How do you feel about being on the podcast today? I'm very excited because we have known each other for a long time and it's been beautiful to see 
the beginning, the creation um, of Kismet and to see um, how far you've gone. And I'm delighted at the opportunity to be um, having this talk today. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from? Yeah, so it's... Um, I was born and raised in France, although I spent uh, quite a few years living in California as a child um, in a place uh, close to San Francisco. And I think that really had a big impact growing up, giving me um, a big um, overview, a big insight um, already at a young age that, you know, the world was big, the world was definitely beautiful and uh, that essentially the world was your oyster in a way. So I, I had that insight from a very young age. San Francisco and Paris both feel like home cities. Um, I traveled quite around in the kind of decade of my 20s living in different places like London, like Berlin, um, also because I could take my work on the road for a long time. Um, I was very lucky to experience um, living in many different places, meeting different people, speaking different languages. Um, I'm currently living in Berlin and working from here. It's, uh, it's currently my home base. It's, current, it's also where I met the both of you. You actually, you kind of wear many hats from what I understand. And I think you had also an interesting educational background. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, it's definitely been a ride. Uh, and I originally, I have a very scientific path um, from from being in high school in France. Um, I followed a scientific baccalaureate and uh, focused on organic chemistry. My path at the time was to go into organic chemistry and be a chemist. Um, and, and, and really, the, uh, the more I was launching into it, the more I saw my, op my, my job opportunities um, lining up to be either working in pharmaceuticals or um, working in petrol or working in uh, com in commercial beauty, which like, you know, over 10 years ago uh, wasn't so, was in the industry it is today, so to speak. So I pivoted my, my career and uh, pivoted into art school. And as soon as I entered art school, I thought, um, this is a place where I can really unleash my creativity and I, I didn't really have a, a plan for what I wanted to do and I thought I would push my visual design skills there either in illustration or in painting and I and when I was visiting the different studios I realized the resources for the departments of film and photography were incredible and I thought you know even if I, at the time I somehow knew that I didn't really want to go into the film industry or necessarily be a photographer, um, I knew that these resources were incredible and for essentially the same investment, time investment, um, money investment and you know the energy of being there, um, I would get so many technical skills um, that I may not get um, in a different major. So for a while, film and photography was also my path. 
Um, and and it's, it's especially in the imagery driven world that we live in today, it's proven to be extremely useful. And while I was on this path, I, um, I was making some websites for my fellow art school friends to showcase their portfolios on online to land uh, jobs and internships and um, doing blogging and, and, and the web is something I've been kind of quite comfortable doing um, for some years and um, enough that I had built up um, pretty good programming skills and even in my last year in in film school um, or in my film program uh, for my animation final instead of using traditional uh, pen and paper sort of animation I went to see my teacher and said you know um, I think that's incredibly not efficient to redraw the same drawing 30 times in a row to make one second could I write a custom code a script that would essentially um, animate what I'm trying to animate and you know my teacher said yep that's fine so I kind of continue to push also these these uh, technical skills and to cut a long story short um, at the end of my studies I ended up landing um, a job in the tech industry in uh, San Francisco. I think it's worth mentioning that you went to RISD, which is one of the most prestigious design schools in the world. So how did that decision uh, to go there come about and uh, how was the admissions process? Mm. So um, how or why did I apply? It was the only art school I applied to. The rest was chemistry schools. I only applied to chemistry schools. And then I thought, I had this little thing in my head where I was just like, ah, but I could see how my path is going to be so clear if I go to chemistry school. I'm just going, and if I go to art school, it's it, it's the best or nothing kind of, it was at the, I, I think I, ha I would have a different, different approach today. Either I shoot for the stars and do the best um, and, or, um, or, it, or it's not happening. Um, and I applied and um, I got in. So I went, told myself, if I get in, I'm going. And to go back to what you were um, asking about the admissions process, they, so RISD has a very unique and cheeky admissions process where they test you but you don't know that they're testing you it's going to be very subtle and they're known for doing this but their prompts change year to year and so you, it's it's not like they're using the same um, techniques twice in a row to give you an example they um, in the admissions process on top of submitting a portfolio of pieces um, of that you wish to send, they have a couple of drawings that they say spend 100 hours, you know, an arbitrary number, but something along those lines, spend 100 um, hours on drawing a bicycle. In the admissions or in the, in the, in the kind of instruction sheets that they send you as to how to submit these drawings, they say uh, send the drawings folded up um, in like an A4 standard letterbox formats, which 
which breaks your heart when you've been spending so many hours um, working on something that you have to destroy a little bit. Um, you have to damage, at least, uh, to send it to them. And uh, on the first day of the orientation, um, they announced to us that, you know, this class, whoever, you know, got accepted, um, we were the ones that um, folded our drawings. What, and they told us what a lot of people end up doing is they, they would roll the drawings and then stick it into one of these uh, rolls. How do you call them? The tube. Like a tube, exactly. Like, like a cylinder. Um, and a lot of people did that to prevent the drawing from, ha from arriving with any, without any creases. And the, the lesson here that they were wanting to communicate was don't get attached to your work. Everyone who just um, put, rolled their drawings and put them in a tube and sent it was automatically disqualified. So do you think that uh, throughout your education there that they really prepared you for receiving critique? Because I would think that actually that's really a life lesson that goes far beyond just uh, art education. Yes, uh, absolutely. Don't get attached to your work. Distance yourself from your work. Um, create the distance between you and your work so that you can see it objectively for what it is. Um, and also because, I think I mentioned, because we live in such an image-driven world, um, your work has to speak for itself. That has extraordinary powers because you are not always going to be there to defend your work. Uh, you're not going to be there to explain your work, to sell your work. Your work has to build the strength to really communicate on its own without you being present. So, when you were at RISD, you were studying film and design while simultaneously teaching yourself front-end development, which landed you a good job in San Francisco. Why did you decide to come back to Europe? The subtlety here is that it was uh, not my decision. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't planning on coming back to Europe. Uh, I, I enjoyed my time in San Francisco. I essentially, um, I, I thought that I would get my visa renewed uh, because the company I was working for was a big established company. And, um, you know, I, especially as a female developer, uh, the odds were in my favor uh, uh, for the renewal of the visa because there were not so many of us. Um, but at the end of the day, um, even if your company uh, is willing to sponsor you, your application still goes through a lottery program. And that year, the, the, the quotas uh, for French speaking or not French speaking, but like French people uh, in San Francisco were too high or something. I don't know. I'll always remember like coming back from the Burning Man Festival in my San Francisco apartment with sand in my hair, so looking forward to a nice hot shower and seeing the Homeland Security letters in the entrance. Oh my God, that's terrifying. <laughs> 
and uh, yeah, looking at that, and I, I I didn't register it for for a while. I didn't. I was like, no, what do you what do you mean? I'm, I have to leave. Like my life is here. I've got a job. I've got a nice apartment. Like I'm with my friends. You know, I'm relationship. Like what do you mean? I had um, a couple of days to leave. Essentially, like around five days uh, to kind of pack up and go. And uh, I arrived uh, back in back in France. <laughs> wow! And how did you feel when you when you touched down in in France? Did you feel like oh, this is? Did it take you a while to sort of adjust mentally? Like this is this is now going to be my life? Or how did you feel when you touched down? I I I touched base, and I thought this i could see myself like being here at some point i could see myself being back in france but because this is not by choice i don't want to be here right now i thought right i have the most friends in berlin and amsterdam so i'm going to spend a week in each city try to uh, maybe find a job or see how it is and Berlin won, yeah. I, I came for five days and I stayed five months because Berlin was so welcoming and everybody here is, is anyways on kind of an alternative flow. Um, it felt right and I even, um, I was, I, I did a bit of using the skills that I had acquired, you know, at, at my previous job, I, I put them directly to use uh, for some startups here in Berlin. And I, I got to meet more and more people this way. And, um, and at some point, I think it was, it was, it was in January or something, it was freezing in Berlin. And I remember the, um, the person I was working with kind of jokingly said, well, if you don't want to do, you could, if you don't want to be doing the work from Berlin, uh, you could be doing the work from Morocco for all I care, as long as the work is done. And I took his words very literally and uh, escaped the Berlin winter to go in and, and work remotely. And I think that also was in a start Morocco? in Morocco. Yeah, <laughs> really? I went yeah. to Morocco. I went to Morocco. I spent some time in Turkey as well after that. Hmm. So it sounds like you were really, you took, something really difficult in stride. And how about once you realized that you could literally winter in Morocco or Turkey or wherever you might like to be, um, how did those types of experiences then filter into your work? Um, so two things. I think the first one was that uh, the more I was doing this, the more I realized that um, it wasn't about just finishing a project from abroad that I could really provide for myself independently. You know, obviously we all, I want to be creating these partnerships. Um, there's so much value in, in doing partnerships, but that I, I had built, I had the proof that I could provide for myself doing something creative um, and independently. And then I could provide for myself financially this way. That gave me a lot of confidence very early on. Um, also traveling to Morocco and traveling to, um, to Turkey and traveling to you know, Bali and uh, Myanmar and India, I was, I was um, being exposed to so many new plants, so many new 
scents, so many new essential oils, um, so many new types of rituals um, that I hadn't, I had only re you know really read about um, or or seen on on social media, and that also really piqued my curiosity, um, and and it it laid uh, a little bit the foundation for. Um, building officine, which is all about building a little ritual wherever you go, essentially being able to take um, these little ritual tools, whether it's it's a candle or it's a perfume oil, and being not being confined to um, you know your bathroom or or your bedroom, but that you can put them in a cute little pouch, uh, pouch and hop on a plane, and you can set up a little altar wherever you go. I actually met you at uh, Oculture uh, pre-pandemic. Yes. <laughs> um, like literally a few months before. Uh, and you had a booth there. And uh, I was actually just looking for people doing interesting things that maybe we could possibly sell at Kismet. And uh, yeah, you had your booth where you were selling your essential oils and aromatherapy and we just immediately hit it off. And, and that's how I got to know you was through Officine and, and uh, uh, through all your practice with herbalism. So uh, could you tell us a bit more uh, about how you actually started developing your brand? Um, so that uh, O-Culture was the first public manifestation of Officine. So it's great that we met there. Also, it's probably worth explaining that Okutur is like a sort of an occult, witchy conference in Berlin. Is that a, a good way to describe it? Yeah, they, they brand themselves as an esoteric conference. And I think that's a pretty good description. Yeah, so the I wasn't planning at all on on I, I still thought that I, I had a lot to explore with my own uh, products. Obviously, I was doing things for myself and doing things for family and friends and, and, you know, experimenting with a lot of oil blends. And my friends uh, really liked what I do and they um, I shared a lot of it with them, but it never really uh, it never really existed in the public sphere. And um, a friend of a friend told me about this conference and said, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you go and check it out? And I thought, yeah, that sounds great. Um, and I wasn't even in Berlin at the time. I was traveling in Bali, and and I went on the website and I and I looked a little bit at it and I and I got in touch with the organizer because that's the contact I had received from my friends, and I thought, I had this little thing and this little voice in my head where I thought, why don't I could be a part of this. Why? Wh wh why would I um, just go there to check it out? I think I have I have something that I want to show. And again, the positive pressure. Like, why don't I set myself a little challenge? I had been putting off designing the brand for months, and then I thought, I'm just gonna do it. And O Culture was about two and a half three weeks away from when I realized I'm going to launch this. And I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm designing the brand, I'm designing the logo, I'm designing the website, I'm um, designing the packaging design, and I'm going to order all my materials to be delivered um, in Berlin. And when I get back to Berlin, I'm going to make everything and 
that is going to be the birth of it. Enough putting it off. So what's the concept behind Overseen and what kind of products do you make? Yes, uh, the concept uh, of Officine is really to create products that appeal to the aromatic senses. So um, the, the core products of Officine are the perfume oils. Um, that's really where the, the brand really stems from. I love making perfume oils because they're, um, they're more concentrated than alcohol-based um, oils um, i make uh, scented candles as well with a beautiful rapeseed wax uh, from france um, all the scents are natural deriving from essential oils um, extracts but all types of botanical extracts absolutes and uh, i make some beautiful face and body massage bombs and um, aromatic room spray which by the way also doubles as a yoga mat spray because all the essential oils in there have very cleansing properties and maybe this relates back to your more chemistry background but you seem to really understand scents on a molecular level so um when you set out to make officine like how did you kind of transfer that knowledge that you had from chemistry and cosmetics and actually starting to, to build a, a brand out of that yeah it's all it's all about uh, it's all about uh, merging art and science really um, I think that it's interesting because often the association or herbalism is often associated to somebody foraging and you know I like to think or I think something there's this image of a child who went collecting branches and playing in the dirt. Um, I liked staying inside. <laughs> I did not like to climb up trees. I liked to uh, let my siblings, you know, do all this. And then, but what I would do is that I would um, research a lot. I would research my findings. As a teenager, I would research the benefits of every food. You know, what makes green tea uh, uh, such uh, healthy? What is it? And and my introduction to aromatherapy in or in, at, 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 from the very start, um, it, it it was about reading labels. I was. Um, learning all about uh, these ingredients in my chemistry classes and then I was seeing the same words, uh, the same names that I had been learning in the daytime um, on the labels of my products when I came home. And then I thought, I started to critique the ingredient lists that I saw in my labels and I thought, hmm, they used this glycerin here, hmm, they really could have used uh, another ingredient, or hmm, how did they emulsify this? I'm really curious. They're talking about a natural emulsifier of like, oh, they're using zinc oxide, like at what percentage? To a point where pharmacists who would see me enter the shop would like go and hide in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and were you asking them questions about why the product they were selling had emulsifiers in it yes exactly or i would ask him like well you know why do we need the titanium dioxide when we already have 20 percent zinc oxide in the formulation <laughs> and really and then you know then it, it's really by starting to swap out the ingredients and finding more natural alternatives 
um, that I made that I started to make my own and um, and I really don't think even to this day that I have the best nose in the world but I like looking at the molecular structure of an essential oil and you see similarities uh, and then you see that they're going to each have their own shape um, and just visually these different shapes are going to be complementary or opposite and that's how I approached it at first uh, and then nature does things well because when I did pair them up they smelled gorgeous and now I'm a lot more intuitive with my nose but at first when I started blending them I was just more curious to um, to blend the shapes of the molecules visually if that made sense and see what that smelled like there's a wow so you're working on the level of molecular structure molecular looking, structure looking to see what what uh fits and then smelling it as opposed to knowing the smells and then checking out the molecular structure and then now you do both and now i do both yeah that's exactly but at first i started thinking like i want to smell something that has less than six carbon chains what does that smell like oh my god it's amazing wow, that's like that's like ge geometric smelling like talk that's about uh, synesthesia like yeah and then wow. you and then you see like oh all the citrus uh you know don't have much carbon and because they don't have much carbon they're not very heavy and that's why they're so volatile so it really kind of started from like this curiosity and then i i learned to to, to i learned to make parallels between those scents um, and the molecular structure I was recently reading a book by Robin Rose Bennett. She's a herbalist, and she talks about, about sort of the magic of the whole natural um, plant and ev the whole full spectrum of what that has to offer as opposed to just isolating one component, which is supposedly effective or has a specific scent or something that like you get sort of the quote-unquote uh, magic of the whole thing when you you don't really know how an individual component will interact with everything else that's in there everything is there for a reason everything has to to think that you can just remove something and that and and have that specific uh, that specific part of the molecule do all the magic uh the rest wouldn't be there in the first place if that was the case you also seem to be uh, the queen of bath magic. I've seen quite a, a few Instagram photos of your <laughs> setup. Would you say that bath magic is one of your favorite rituals? And what advice maybe would you give to someone if they wanted to have a, a nice bath ritual? So I'm wearing a bathrobe right now. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few ingredients that I love putting in a bath. I think there's something so calming about water. Uh, there's something so calming about going into another element. Uh, um, I think maybe that also really depends on your own constitution. Uh, yeah, my... I was actually told that we often gravitate towards the element that we're missing the most in our life, like mm. uh, on an emotional level. Mm. Mm. I gravitate towards baths, like it's some sort of portal to the like a fish dimension that I need to go to. <laughs> fish dimension. Like, yeah, like so every day to calm down. I'm just going to throw that out there. But I want to hear about your bath rituals because yours seem very sensual. I think the most important, I think, you know, as soon as your body touches water, though, no matter how many candles you have around the room, like the magic is there. But I think the magic also happens when you shut the door. <laughs> you leave the, the, the distractions. Um, 
a way. I think especially if you uh, if you have a lot of ideas bubbling and you're always kind of um, I'm also a very airy person. I like to be working on a lot of different projects, like to be talking. I think the magic of the bath is it's not just the bath itself, is the intention of I'm taking time for me and everything else um, is uh, remains outside of, of that space. Um, but there's a few ingredients I love putting in the bath. I love um, having some Epsom salt. Also the magnesium helps to go into the pores. I love um, having some oats that really softens the skin. The oats, uh, as soon as they touch water, also have um, create saponins, which is that kind of gooey texture you get when you're cooking oats. Um, and that's just to fill up like um, a little tea bag, um, you know, uh, with uh, with some oats and then let that sit in the bath and then you can even take this bag and like put it all over your face it feels incredible you can have the softest skin after um i do that too with uh old socks <laughs> old socks that. it works it works though right as long as you're it getting works. the saponins but i did not know i did not know the chemistry saponins yeah it's the same molecule as soap so you can think of it as like cleaning your whole body and your face with something that cleans but isn't soap. So it's not going to dry out the, um, it's not going to dry out your skin. And if a great formula, if you want to make some cleansing, cleansing grains, you take some some oatmeal, you grind it super fine. You could use like a coffee make like a coffee grinder. Maybe not the same coffee grinder as the coffee grinder you use for your coffee beans. Otherwise, you're your 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 um, uh, preparation is going to smell like coffee one dedicated for only grinding herbs and plants but uh, very finely um, grinded um, oats um, mix it with some water and then put it on your face and it's exactly the same yeah nature has everything you don't need to buy all this stuff in the supermarket would you say that you're a little bit witchy? Would you ever use that word to describe yourself? Because you do kind of gravitate sometimes to those circles, but maybe you would define yourself as something a bit different. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think witchy also carries like um, I don't want to get too much into this, but it's uh, there's different types of witches as well, uh, which uh, so I, I I wouldn't you know associate myself as like a specific witch but absolutely i love to i love rituals i love to have ri do rituals with my friends i love to um i believe in you know setting an intention through a spell that you're going to do for yourself um i like to go and make my own Elder um, elderberry syrup. I like to make my own oils. I like to anoint my candles with my perfume oils and think about you know why I'm anointing them. So all of these um, witchy practices, um, I always gravitate towards. Um, but it's also a blend. I am also I'm I'm as attracted to um, the witchy practices as as I am to. To the chemistry labs and i think it's this i find myself a little bit in this um, balance which i've always been in um, even as a kid i if you asked me what i wanted to do i would say uh you know i wanted to be a chemist and an illustrator 
And the year after that, I wanted to be an electrician and a painter. So there's always been this duality uh, that, I, that I'm trying very, very much to convey and translate with Officine. It is about the science of the products. It is about uh, oils and, and constituents and plants um, that were meant to be together, really on a molecular structure. But that that are also um, that are also made, crafted to be used in a ritual setting. Well, it sounds like you have a gift for translating science that a lot of people might not know about. Like I had no clue how oatmeal worked <laughs> or so. <laughs> I also didn't know about the molecular shape of scents either, which is fascinating. But it sounds like you have a real gift for being able to translate that type of knowledge, which you know quite well, but many people may not, into something that can be used uh, in a ritualistic way, mm. um, which perhaps... Um, it's like imbuing some sort of scientific magic because you know the science you're translating that into a beautiful product that people can enjoy just on a sensual level but really the sort of quote-unquote magic behind it is your knowledge that you've translated into something that people can just intuitively used. Also, I just want to say that all of your stuff does smell uh, gorgeous. I mean, like, it's very multi-layered, very rich. Uh, you know, these are not basic scents that you're you're sort of composing, I guess, because, again, you're thinking on such a molecular level that you're getting these sort of compositions that are a bit more surprising. That's what I try to do. <laughs> uh, that's what I try to do, and you and you and you find, uh, yeah. There's uh, there. It is. It's a really fascinating and humbling journey to look at uh, to look from micro to macro, or not necessarily micro, but to to look at really the the world on a on a on a on a micro level, on a molecular level, and. And take it uh, and turn it into something, you know, tangible that then people can hold. I think uh, to take something that's unseen or to take something that's so little that you can't see, that you can't really quite comprehend, uh, that you can't touch really, into something that we've been trained to um, to understand as a commodity as a candle as a perfume as a balm as um, and and that we as humans already have all the all the narratives and understand how how we use these things for ourselves and also with other people whether it's a massage for a massage balm or how to cleanse your space with a spray so it's it's interesting also to notice this so what are some new projects you're working on now that maybe you could share? So because there's, uh, because this is a funny time, uh, you know, there's no markets, barely any live events, no conferences and festivals. I've had to really, but this is all kind of made me reconsider um, how I want to use this time and how I want to use this time and the projects that are lined up. Um, to um, support this intention is formulating, formulating and research. I'm also launching a product with a very special 
company based in the US. I can't quite share just yet, but it's going to be very special. So definitely stay tuned. And um, I'm also working on launching a new type of experience with a friend, uh, which is an at-home retreat called Ritual Retreats. Um, which is different from other at-home um, retreats in the sense that uh, everyone, every participant gets a box uh, which uh, has a lot of products already designed to elevate your um, ritual experience. We're super excited because we recently launched our first collaboration. Uh, we decided to make crystal candles together. So we wanted to employ your uh, excellent scientific skills and nose <laughs> um, and uh, mix them with crystal magic so uh, how's that how's this project been for you uh, beautiful also because when and I, I actually I have a candle right next to me also to put myself in the mood it has a little crystal in there making a, a bigger batch uh, for those uh, who who can't see um, something beautiful is the the light that gets refracted on the crystal as the crystal um, um, go um, swims in the liquid wax that is really gorgeous. I think um, it's been it's been beautiful to experiment and not just with the texture of working with um, with stones and with uh, plants, but also even from a visual standpoint to to you know start thinking about uh pairing a crystal to to a plant together and um uh, matching them by color but also you know matching them with uh with intention uh matching them with properties benefits many people don't realize this but kismet is an ancient word borrowed into english and we chose it because it is related to a force that's like destiny. It belongs to several languages and has different historical and geographical layers to its meaning. Modern dictionaries define it as a force that some people think controls what happens in the future. So, do you believe in fate or destiny? I think it's it might not be as literal as like this is going you know this particular event is going to happen but I think in one I think things um, the lessons that you need to learn they are always go there are I, I do believe that there is a set you're you're here on this earth to learn a set number of lessons now depending on where you are in the world um, these lessons may be um, maybe a trip, it may be a person that you meet, it may be some a revelation, it may it may come through a job, it may may manifest in a family member, it may um, manifest in uh, an experience in a country. Um, that to me is fate. That um, these these lessons are unavoidable, and the patterns are going to be repeating themselves, uh, and they manifest in a variety of of ways. So, Celine, if we wanted to find more of your work and find out what you've got on the pipeline and see what you've got, your many projects, um, tell us the best way to find you. 
the best way to um, get updates uh, on the products that I'm currently working on, the collaborations um, and the new products uh, that are going to be coming out uh, is my Instagram, that's Officine Perfume Oils. So at Officine, O-F-F-I-C-I-N-E, and then Perfume Oils. And I also have a website, also officineperfumeoils.com. So O-F-F-I-C-I-N-E, and then perfumeoils.com altogether. Um, and on the website, um, you can see the range um, of products. Uh, um, and I'm also working on building a library, a Materia Medica, as they call it uh, in Latin, which is um, essentially basically the fruit of uh, my research in the format of very small articles, but research that I want to make available um, you know, to the general public. This show was produced, recorded, and edited in Berlin, Germany by us, Joey and Kate. Check out our website to find a magical selection of ethical crystals, indie tarot cards, handmade jewelry, and natural candles and incense. You can find us at www.kismetberlin.com. That's www.kismetberlin.com as well as on Instagram, at Kismet Berlin, all in one word. Music is by Tobu, and the track is entitled Sapphire. Thanks for listening, and stay mystically curious.